fuck this script. Can we just do an intro without one? Yeah, fuck it. Roll the track. Welcome back to Authorized Antics. <laughs> I'm Taylor. And I'm Hannah. So much energy. I'm not on your level. <laughs> I'm honestly just faking it till I make it. <laughs> That's what I always say. I know. So you taught me this. So if you don't like it, you don't Please. like yourself. Because <laughs> you taught me how to be like this. <laughs> you don't like yourself. <laughs> All right. So today, we really loved the last episode going on a deeper level talking all about women and our issues and how cool we are and so we're trying to stay on that similar vibe of a deeper topic still you know putting our little fun spins on it and we are talking today about a few different topics but pretty much the theme is we are debunking slash defying stereotypes most of these are still going to be related to being a woman because that's what we are if you didn't know. <laughs> Hannah is like, Taylor, what gets you fired the fuck up? And let's talk about it. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of things do, but the most relatable ones that make sense on this podcast are just a lot of the myths and stereotypes that come along with being a hoaman. And I want to talk about them because I'm fed up. I'm 21 and I'm fed up with this shit. What are you most fed up with, Tay? What's really just making you burst at the seams? I have a lot of interconflict in my own mind. But I think from the time that I lost my, quote, lost my virginity. Oh, God. <laughs> till now that I'm 21, I lost it when I was 16. I feel like I've rode, ridden a roller coaster of what is this term? Does it really matter? Does it make sense? Did I lose anything? Did I give away something? And now that I'm 21 and feel like I've matured in the realm of sex, I'm really irritated with the concept and the term and that we are still using it and teaching young girls who are like 16, 17, who are like beginning to have sex at those ages, that losing your virginity is this concept and misogynistic idea that you're giving something away to somebody. And in that, reality, like someone's taking it. Taking it, exactly. Like they had the privilege of doing something for you and taking some new experience from you and trying to transform your like sexuality or you know that just makes it sound like you are less than before you had sex like they took this thing away from you so now you're lesser than you were before exactly and i think when uh like we were younger and we were 16 and starting to have sex I thought of losing my virginity as like a shed, like I'm shedding this immature layer of myself, but I didn't change when I had sex. Like my brain didn't get like larger and smarter. I didn't get more mature, like nothing happened. And I didn't transform into this like erotic, but like, no, not, like nothing yeah. spiritual happened there. And I think there's a lot of 
just like misconceptions around it. And I don't really have like the key to debunking that or like trying to like justify why we need to get rid of this term. But I just want people to realize like it's 2021. Men ain't shit. (laughs) They're not taking anything away from these young women when they decide to have sex for the first time. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Good night. End of podcast. And that's episode 21. No, but it sucks because I was just trying to like put myself back into my shoes of before I had sex. And I'm just thinking about how badly I wanted to because everyone else was or because I wanted to seem cool or like older and more mature, more like a woman, like you said. And so I was just doing it for that reason to like check it off this list rather than like actually wanting to enjoy sex right and I want to like sit here and be like oh just wait or don't let men hold that power over you but I'm just trying to envision like 16 year old Han and like she would be like shut the fuck up right (laughs) I don't know I don't think we're gonna convince anyone who hasn't had sex yet to look at it a different way I think it has to do with the pressure of like friends and social media that can kind of take the edge off of the idea because the concept and the term, I think it will always be used for literally the rest of time. But I feel like the pressure and the stigma around it and especially like entering college with like being a virgin, I feel like that's a huge issue that people are quite literally bullied for. Mm -hmm. I think like if the pressure can be taken off of young women and even like men who are like vulnerable to the concept of losing their virginity, that can aid the sort of heaviness that comes with it. Yeah. And even just having sex in general, I feel like people put so much around that as like how it makes you as a person. Mm -hmm. Like if you've had sex with a big number of people or a small amount of people, I feel like people read so much into that and use that to like identify you as a person yeah I mean it's the classic thing like if girls have had sex with a lot of people they're a slut if guys have had sex with a lot of people people are like congratulating them and they're the man and like oh my god how did you do that the next thing I had was not any real thing related to that but you said you wanted to talk about body positivity and toxic body positivity I feel like the physical image that comes with sex kind of started curating my body image if that makes sense of like being naked and being vulnerable with like somebody so do you feel like we could go into that yeah okay I didn't even think I was gonna say this but it's just the truth so that's what we're here to do I have felt like absolute shit about my body for like the last few months and have just been going through this hatred with working out like it used to be a thing that I would love to do and would be like yay I get to do this not I have to do it but now I'm like oh my god I should be doing this and I will make every excuse not to do it. I did for the first time today in like a month, so that's exciting. Hey. But moral of the story is I've just felt like absolute shit about my body. And I've noticed that simultaneously as like this is going on, my boyfriend and I have been doing a lot with like role play and like lingerie and like costumes recently. And why this ties in is because I have felt so good about myself in that stuff when we're having sex and because it's fun but also because of the fact that I'm not as vulnerable and like fully exposed because I think that does tie in like how you feel about your body and then how you like approach 
sex. So it's kind of like I'm hiding behind these things or like I'm turning into a different person when we do role play. So I'm not as like exposed and I'm not fully thinking, oh my God, how does my body look? Because I used to never think about that during sex. It used to be super freeing for me. And I'd be like, oh, whatever, like fucking leave the lights on. Let me look at myself in the mirror and like fucking love it. But recently I've been like not feeling that way. And it's a shitty feeling. Maybe to like not only help me and like everybody listening get some insight on how you feel so like free during sex and not concerned about your body. Going back down memory lane might also help you kind of reconnect with yourself in that way. How do you feel like you have that perspective? Has that been ever since you started having sex or do you feel like it's with your current boyfriend who you are so comfortable with? Because I feel like that's not a lot of like, that's not something a lot of women can relate to. That's not something that I relate to of like not caring what I look like, but that's like so inspiring. Well, thanks, Tay. But well, in <laughs> this, well, in this current moment, like I said, I'm like hiding behind the role play and like the costumes and stuff. But in the past, yeah, it. I will give credit to my boyfriend. It is because I'm super comfortable with him, and we just have that bond where anything we do or say. I know we'll never be like, oh, that's fucking weird. We almost like, I kind of like it because we have like our relationship. And then when we're having sex, I feel like it's kind of just like a different world of being like, okay, we could pretend to be this person or say this or whatever. And then as soon as it's over, it's over. And it's kind of like left in that space of like, oh, that was, that's just us when we're having sex. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of nice. So I feel like if you can find that sort of thing where the sex oh kind of like what I was saying earlier where the sex isn't like you as a person it's not your identity it's kind of like this separate thing kind Mm -hmm. of works for me because then you're not as attached to it of like oh I did this weird thing during sex it's kind of like when people say you are not your kinks like your sexual fantasies and that type of stuff doesn't define you as a person Mm. that kind of helps me like just leaving it all on the field you know (laughs) yeah sex (laughs) is like this different thing and then in your normal life maybe you're feeling differently about your body yeah no that makes sense because until I met you Hannah I never tried the like mirror in front of me sort of thing but I told you one time I did it and I never have been more turned on like I went full god complex full narcissism (laughs) but what's interesting I mean I like struggle with like leaving it all on the field (laughs) (laughs) like I'm constantly replaying of like oh like how did I look like how did I look to not only my own viewpoint but like to his and like how did it feel? And I think since relying on not just the sense of like touch, but also vision of like visually looking at like how you have sex and understanding what, this is such a tangent, what positions like make you feel like confident. I feel like I've resorted back to those like in my memory of like, oh, I'm having a shitty day. Like think about the sex that you had last week. Like you looked so hot in reverse. Like I <laughs> Like, pull yourself together. And I I love that you're thinking, remember how hot you looked, not, oh, remember what he was doing to me. No, you were like, remember how I looked? Like, that is the type of mindset that helps. I mean, going back to, like, the body image thing, obviously it's not all sex-based. We talked also a lot about, like, toxic body positivity. I feel like that sort of hiding behind, like, 
but not only like physical like costume but also just like the idea of like being someone else do you feel like that sort of hiding like is toxic body positivity or do you feel like it's helping you to kind of get back to a place of like oh like I remember what I like do feel like when I like look hot and like feel like my best self because I think this is a different situation but how I talked about prior in the podcast how I would hide behind like clothes in high school and fashion to like give off a a Mm -hmm. image of myself that's not you know how it is and when I think of that I think that that's like toxic body positivity and like body image yeah I think it's good and bad but as we know I am an extremist so like if I find something that works for me I'll just do it do it do it until I'm fed up with it and it disgusts me so I'm trying to like I kind of realized this the other day where I was like well the past like few weeks our sex has only been that type of sex of like hiding behind it, which has been fun and great. But I kind of was like, okay, I should throw in a like fully vulnerable sex here and there of like no costumes and like just being Hannah, like my Mm -hmm. actual self and kind of like find a good balance, which is something I just need to do in every area of my life. (laughs) Yeah. But Yeah, that's the thing with body positivity that I want to talk about is that and why we're saying toxic body positivity is because you can't expect to be fully content with your body at all times. Very similar to how people say with like your mental health, like it's okay not to be okay. That's the same thing with your body because I feel like for a while when I wasn't going to the gym on a strict routine schedule or wasn't eating super healthy or would look at myself in the mirror and just be like meh I would think that's so bad and again to a certain point that could be bad but it's okay to have those days where you're just not feeling great like you don't have to be super stoked about your physical appearance or just like how it's making you feel you know that's so unrealistic to be walking around like I am so content right and I think for the past couple of years since social media and influencers specifically have been on the rise there's been this myth of why wouldn't you follow this trend of being bossy body positive and I think it's like this thing that we need to debunk of like that's not realistic and hot take here I'm allowed to say this I think because I'm not a size two I'm not a size four I'm not even a size six I think the body positive movement that has recently arose for like not only just like bigger women but for all women I know been more toxic for my body image than it was before I Mm -hmm. look at myself in the mirror 10 times more. I weigh myself, which I never did in the past, because I'm trying to come to terms with myself rather than trying to change it. And I personally find that much harder to accept yourself the way that you are than to try to take actions toward changing things about yourself that you don't like. It's gotten to a point where I'm thinking about it all the time and I never thought about body image this much. Yeah, another hot take here. Throw out your scales. I honestly (laughs) think, no seriously, I think like constantly weighing yourself or just routinely weighing yourself is really bad. Like the numbers on the scale 
do not matter. And that's something I'm really trying to pay attention to is it's about how you feel. And I feel like that goes along with toxic body positivity. It's not how you look or how you're appearing on Instagram or how your friends see you. It's how you feel inside. And that's how I'm, I try. I don't always get it right, but I try to approach working out in that sense of like, okay, this, I'm not doing this because I want to look a certain way. I'm doing it because it's going to make me feel good after. Yeah. yeah. My sister has been trying to get me to like throw out my scale. Like every time we really? talk about it, she's, yeah, she's like, why would I have a scale in my house, Taylor? Like that's fucking ridiculous. And prior to accepting like my body when I was like younger, I would look at like the number and hate myself for it. Now I have it for a logistical reason to like see progress that I'm trying to like obtain, but also don't think that's healthy. And I think I need to talk about about that in therapy. So yeah, because I feel like you can still see progress in other ways besides like the number. The number. Yeah. Not even like just how you feel, but if you do pay attention to how you look like you can see that without the number I just feel like there's something about that that makes it like a weird statistic like on yourself like it's for sure yeah yeah. oh okay just about clothes too I feel like this needs to be said I watched this youtuber I feel like you watch her too Ava Jules yeah yeah she like she does these like she'll do like closet cleanouts and stuff like that that I love to watch because it's so like satisfying but she'll always say you're not made to fit clothes clothes are made to fit you yeah and I feel like that's so good and she always says we're not made to be perfect we're made to be real and I just appreciate all of that because I feel like that happened to me where I would like try on stuff from high school or even like freshman year of college and I would get so sad that it doesn't fit me anymore but it's like no shit it doesn't fit me anymore like I'm turning into a actual woman with like birthing hips like it's it's not gonna like fit me and that's okay we're not always gonna look the same going along with that quickly when we talked about numbers with the scale the beginning like year or two of my time at like fashion school I learned a lot about the like toxicity of the industry not so much how to change it but I learned a lot of like horrifying facts regarding merchandising and retail and a lot of brands have been guilty on throwing a like a size six label on a size four jean so like the measurements of like the waist edge and the waist seam and like the front rise and back right like they're all tailored to be a size four that fits a size four fit model but the like the size six is on it so you think you are like bigger than you like actually are because Jesus. last season's jeans you were a size four and I don't know what that marketing tactic does for those companies I don't get that I I don't know why it would keep customers coming back to a brand like that but I I learned about that too so just another side note of like try not to look at tags when you buy them. And that's, yeah. I just like, I personally hate trying stuff on, but now I do because, okay, like it's a size medium. Maybe I want a size medium, but okay, I bought the medium and I took it home and it's actually uncomfortable and I should have tried it on and gotten a size large. And like, uh, yeah, people are guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. And it's just not helpful. <sighs> Sizing in general just fucks me up. And I hate trying on things too. I wrote this little funny 
story. It's really like 300 words, but it's called The Perfect Pair. And it's all about feeling so excited because there's a bunch of jeans to try on and you're excited to have a bunch of new outfits and you're walking through the store, picturing all the things you're going to pair your new jeans with. And you have light wash and dark and, and black jeans. And then you get into the dressing room and then you have one that kind of fits you, not even fully fits you. And it's like the ugliest one. That is like my experience all the time in dressing rooms of just being so excited to try on clothes and then just leaving feeling like shit about my body. Like rarely do I leave a dressing room feeling good. Right. I was thrifting today (laughs) and I was in, it's supposedly Bella Hadid's favorite thrift store in Brooklyn. So I had to go. And (laughs) there was just a whole rack of beautiful Levi 501s for 45 fucking dollars. And they had a lot of my sizes. They didn't fit. They didn't even go over my legs. I'm like, bro, I didn't come here to feel like a piece of shit. I came here to get a cute fit. Like, stop. Yeah. Wait, where was that? Levi's? No, this was a thrift store, but there were a lot of Levi's jeans. Oh, okay. Because me and my sister were in that actual store a little while back. And like, same thing. We were so excited. We took these big stacks of jeans into the dressing room because we like just needed pants. And... (laughs) We were like both trying them on. It was like, nope, nope, nope. And then she finally found one that fit and were the same size. And we like had practically like a tug of war session over the jeans because we were like, we're the same size. These are the only ones left. Like, oh my God. feel okay about myself. Who got them? She did. Damn it. <laughs> but I threw a fit. I threw a fucking fit. Older <laughs> sister gets priority as they should. No. Okay. (laughs) All right. 180. (laughs) I had a really great conversation with my friend today, specifically about like childbirth and like reproduction, but like it kind of ties into like the expectation and the myths of the timeline that women are expected to be married and have children and things like that, which I feel like I'm the, what's the phrase? Black sheep? White sheep? black sheep black sheep yeah black sheep of the family in that sense question mark (laughs) question mark (laughs) (laughs) open-ended yeah (laughs) up Um, for interpretation right basically we were talking about um having children and how earlier in our like lives we were just like that's crazy that freaks me out I don't understand how people have children so early in life let alone at all and then we were saying that it's kind of heartbreaking because if someone like ourselves decides not to have children, we kind of feel like guilty for that because there are a lot of women who can't have children. And I, the, we got into the conversation because my aunt just had a beautiful little baby girl through IVF because she could, her eggs just were not fertile, but she was able to like be pregnant with her basically with a donor. And it, we just were talking and we were like, women are put on this earth for multiple reasons, but number one, our bodies are physically like altered and our hips are altered and our, you know, everything in our organ to have children. If I, and I feel like if I were to not take advantage of that, I would be doing like a disservice to like women as a whole who can't have children. It was a really specific conversation, but it just kind of got me thinking of like, why are those expectations so high and so like commonly spoken about in terms of like when to have children like you're kind of selfish if you don't choose to have children like why would you not want a family why would you not want to grow up with a partner and I don't really have like exactly set thoughts and ideas for myself as to like 
do I want a family? Do I want to be married? Do I want to have kids? Like I'm just kind of going with life over here. But it kind of had me thinking of like, why are the expectations so high to eventually have a family? I feel like we're past the like point of like, you should probably be married with one kid by the time you're 30. Like, I feel like the numbers aren't as much of a, of an issue or like a stereotype as to like when you're expected to have a family and children. But I feel like as a whole, a lot of conversation that like I've had with like my family members and friends is like, well, like, are you like you should, like, that's kind of crazy if you're just going to like work and travel your whole life. It's like, why is that crazy? Just because it's not the quote unquote norm. Yeah, it's, like, looked down upon to even be without a partner. It's like, oh, she hasn't found anyone yet. Right. My my family is notorious for that. And sometimes I joke about it for myself, but I'm only 21, which also blows my mind. But I'm, you know, made fun of for not having, you know, the boyfriend or the girlfriend on the family trip where my sisters are – and sisters, my sister and my brother are – bringing theirs well, along your siblings are younger than you and like practically married like cool right. it's a unique situation and I'm the oldest I'm only 21 they are 20 and 19 and yeah. I am being not criticized but made fun of for not even having like a little fling or you know a little mini relationship with it it was like I'm still in college like leave me the fuck alone I'm sorry your yeah, other like- two children wanted to settle down at the age of 20 boring but and not like me, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you just didn't want that. But I think the thing that sucks is that women also get stereotyped of like, if they do want kids, they have to start thinking about it sooner because people are like, oh, her biological clock. But we literally do have that. It just is proven that it gets harder to have children as you get older. And like, depending on your body, it's just harder in general. So I feel like it's a thing that women have to think about because they're like, okay, even if I'm on the fence, but like I could see it, like it's kind of a decision you sometimes have to rush into or like you just naturally have to start thinking about it because it will get harder as you get older. Whereas men are kind of just along for the ride being like, eh, yeah, like they don't have to think about how it's going to affect their body at all. Right. And I think I have this like battle with myself where as I'm two sides of like, I would love to be the rich aunt that grows old and lives in New York City and spoils her nieces and nephews. But on the other side, like I could see myself having a family and having children, but like not until I'm 40. But then I remember that I'm a human in a body that does have a body clock. And it's like, could I have my own biological children at 40? I don't know. Right. That's... It's something I think about now, not like fully plan out, but they are thoughts in my head because I like go back and forth all the time of picturing like what I want my future life to look like as an adult, like, and half of me sees the classic husband with two children. (laughs) And then the other half of me sees this person who like is traveling for work and is writing and by herself and finding different muses and like Mm -hmm. whatever. And I always go back and forth and it's like, well, yeah, you don't have to decide, but it's like, you kind of, women kind of have to have an idea of that sooner than men do because those are two very different scenarios. And if you want to have children, you kind of do have to plan that out. I mean, you can have children without being married totally, but Mm -hmm. like if I wanted that first scenario, it's like, okay, well, before the 
the children option comes the husband and like the house and where are we living. So those are all things around the children leading up to the children that I have to think about. And now I'm sweating because this is just <laughs> too much. <laughs> but I feel like when the concept of children and the expectation of women having children comes into play, there seems to be all of these other elements and almost I would label them obstacles that come along with it. It's like you have to have the partner who is loyal and can be a long-term committed dad. It can't be somebody who knocked you up or a short-term boyfriend. And you can't be in your post-college apartment. You should be in a house with at least a spare bedroom that you can turn into a nursery and have a comfortable space for the child. And 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 all these things that end up accumulating to like this perfect scenario of having a children. I don't like that either. I don't feel like that myth and that like expectation and that standard of like all these other things come along with having children. It's like you can be with somebody living in like a little apartment in the city that, you know, with someone you love or whatever and have a child. Like it, I don't think there's these right or wrong ways to do it as long as like, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the children are cared for and safe and, you know, safe and fed and things. But that also kind of bothers me of the, like, environment and the circumstances that surround it. I feel like, and I don't know, maybe you've had these thoughts too, Tay. But I feel like because I didn't get that healthy marriage relationship and that stay-together family, and I've honestly never seen a healthy relationship in my entire life like actually at all like I could not give you one don't have one that's crazy I that's why I kind of think that way half the time because I'm like oh I've never seen that so it's almost like this which this is also not good reason to do it it's also like this little challenge for me of like I can be the one to do it and I can create that for myself. I shouldn't be doing it as like a challenge, but part of me does want to do it because I've never seen it for myself. So I'm like, oh, I can totally create that like loyal family with just like the mom and the dad and the kids who like stay together. But then, yeah, you're right. It's like times are changing and the whole concept of marriage when you actually step back and look at it is super weird. It's not natural for humans one to only be attracted to one other person or like be in my opinion be with one person for forever so I also think like well maybe I want it where I have one husband who like we raise the kids with but maybe it's open in a way because that almost feels more natural to me because flirting and things like that are healthy or even like other Mm -hmm. sexual stuff with other people feels healthy to me like what is it like 50% of marriages are in divorce or even more now Mm -hmm. that feels weird to me to be married at like in your 20s and then stay together forever with this expectation that like you can't ever talk to another human in like a romantic or sexual way ever again right and I think that is the anxiety that comes along with the expectation of this all like of it all of okay, if I marry like in my mid-20s, but I'm sick of this person in 10 years, I have to fucking start over at 35. Yes. I'm about to die at 35. Like, no, (laughs) I'm kidding. But like, yeah, 
that's also what gets me like anxious of like the timeline because obviously like you were saying you would want to be the person in your family to break the I guess not curse but traditional stereotype of like relationships not working out and not being healthy I think I actually have like a different approach I don't know if anyone relates to this or if you like understand this of like I've seen it work in unhealthy circumstances and I've seen my dad like continue to raise me the best that he could do without being in a healthy relationship and it works so like I think if that were to be a situation in the future of like not let me word this right of not being with a partner that's a that I'm in a toxic unhealthy abusive relationship like raising a child like I'm not saying that that's gonna work I'm saying that I think like I'm tired of seeing stereotypes revolving around it's only gonna work if you stay together for fucking ever and it's like no co-parenting like it does exist and I've seen it work and that's how my family thrives and I I feel like that's another anxiety that a lot of women have and the pressure that is like put on them to like keep this supposed family like together as well yeah because I feel like this standard has just been set of this is what the ideal family is supposed to look like so everyone's trying to reach that and if they don't reach that they'll feel like a failure but like you said you could be in a marriage of any kind without kids and be happy or have kids and not be married or none and be happy like everyone is on it sounds so cliche but everyone is on their own path and it's weird to think that this one specific mold of family and marriage and kids would fit everyone or like would make everyone happy. Like that's also just so not realistic that this one type of family works for every single person when we are all so different. Right. That's a good point that I never thought of. Yeah. What are we doing? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it also sucks. It also sucks too. Cause I wish like everyone is a collective in the world. Not that like we're going to be the ones to do it, Tacky, but like I wish that everyone could be like, hey, let's all not do that anymore. And let's like, because I feel like most people or like most people our age maybe are thinking something along the lines of like, well, maybe I don't want my family to be this exact way, but. I don't want to be the only one doing something different in a world where everyone's trying to achieve this thing. So I wish we could all just band together and be like, hey, let's all just mix it up. I know. I don't know if when like physical Taylor and physical Hannah are still on this earth that we'll ever see that happen, but maybe our souls will in a few hundred years. That's just, that's what's so weird about 2021 is like in the past like four or five years, I feel like so much changes happen in like these years and probably the next like 20 or 30 years are just going to be like years of change Mm -hmm. and like this like weird time lapse of like transferring into a whole new way of thinking it is I don't but like we're always gonna be living like while we're deciding oh what are we doing about marriage and kids and that stuff It's going to be like this, we're still going to be in this weird like simulation of, okay, our ideas are evolving. Because we're not like we're because the the changes and the like the ideas aren't completely like born and right. Like, yeah, exactly. Kind of the stuff we were talking about in the last episode of how 
yeah, there's been a lot of progress for women and equality, but like, we still have a long fucking way to go. And like in our lifetime, I don't know if we're going to get to the point where it's like, oh, like women, men, just like people. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see a world where it's like, oh, we're all just humans. Like there's always going to be this weird thing of like men, women, men. Yeah. I mean, if you look into like the history of like astrology and spirituality, there are different time periods that correlate with different astrological ages. And we're currently in the age of Aquarius. And I don't remember how much longer we're in this age. I think it's like at least another hundred years or something. But the sign of Aquarius is all about innovation, reinvention, change, progression. And it makes sense as to why we're, you know, seeing all of this. Yeah, like our whole country is just, not to get off on this tangent, I'm going to wrap this up quickly, but (laughs) our whole country is just like this clusterfuck because think about the ideas and mentality of people like in LA or even like in New York City or big cities like that versus our hometown or like the Midwest, like, or the South. Like we are living on different planets right now. And like, I don't know if we're going to be... Obviously, no one's ever going to think the same, but I don't know if we'll see a point where everyone sort of has a basis of the same ideas. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the people in the South and the Midwest are like 20 years behind what's happening in like New York City. On the like grand scale of things, we're the only known like terrestrial planet to hold like functioning societies. So when we only have one large society of 7 billion people, that's quite small in the ratio of like how large the universe is. So I feel like we have no choice but to have those differences because there's not neighboring planets with like human existence that are running the way that we run in society. I don't think it's like the differences that will go away, but I just think like there's always going to be differences, but I just feel like the people in those areas are living as if it's 2000 compared to where we're in 2021 like it's not like the differences it's just further behind and like I do feel like eventually they'll catch up to this point but then the area you're in and like other bigger cities will keep moving right everybody is at like different yeah stages yeah different progressions and like growth yeah fuck (laughs) (laughs) what do we do about that Okay, we're doing another 180 because our specialty don't have good transitions for this and deal with it. Okay. <laughs> but I I was watching this YouTube video last night that they it was like three different couples and they were all taking this compatibility test. And one of the questions was, do you think that they should pay equally, like 50-50, or proportionate to income? And I want to hear your answer to that. So um, I feel like, oh, I feel like before you added that second part, I thought the second part to it was like, or are men just going to pay? And I was like, no, it should be 50-50. But I forgot that there's a still a fucking wage gap. <laughs> and so I think it actually should be income to income. Okay. That's what I thought too. But I think like five out of the six people in the video said 50 50 and i was like bro what if 
male, like male or female, what if one of the people is making a million dollars a year and one of them is making 40K? Like, right. why the fuck would they be splitting dinner down the middle? That's just right. rude. Right. <laughs> right. I, that is really interesting. Yeah. I forget that there's a wage gap because my mind is like, I, w- I want to be equal. So we're equal. Nope. We're not. <laughs> no. I kind of hate the idea of men always paying especially like even on like first dates because I know that's like a stereotype because to me it makes me feel like I'm incapable of like supporting Mm -hmm. myself or like paying for my portion of the dinner it's a really nice gesture and like if you know someone keeps like asking and asking like can I please just like pay for like I'll be polite and I'll say yes like thank you like let me get you next time but last night I was on a date for the first time with a guy and we were heading back home and he like tried to like put his card in front of me and like tap it on like the metro to like let me into the subway but he like didn't position it enough to where it like actually scanned so I got it before he did and it was like funny and he was like why don't you let me pay I was like well I know it's like a two dollar and 75 like subway ride but like I just don't want you to think that you need to like pay from me on the first date and he had a reaction that like I never got before he was like that's actually like really cool and I and he's like not for my sake because I'm like saving money but just because like you have a different perspective and like you're not expecting me to like do something for you that you can do for yourself whereas in the past if a guy was like opening up a tab for our drinks I would be like, no, like just do one drink and I'll get the next. And they'll like fight me on it. They'll be like, that's ridiculous. Like, just let me pay as if like they're speaking. And I know that this isn't maybe the intention of all the men that I do this with, but from my perspective, it feels like I'm being talked down to as if like, that's ridiculous. Uh, you're still a college student and I'm a full-time investment baker and I live in the financial district and, blah, 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 and Wall Street and blah, blah, blah. I can make, I can pay for your drink. It's like, no, I don't like that. And I don't want it. But the the reason why this story of last night kind of turned weird is this guy that I went on a date with is kind of new to Manhattan. He's from Florida. And he was like, do you think I need to wear a mask on the subway? I was like, yeah, like a lot of people do. Like it's polite. And he's like, well, you're breaking stereotypes over here. I'm going to break one and not wear my mask. I was like, oh, (laughs) right. Red flag, Tay. Thought we liked this guy. He ended up putting it on because I put mine on. He was like, oh, I should probably like wear it. I was like, yeah. All right. That's good. But I was like, (laughs) I was like, the yikes. That (laughs) fucking backfired. (laughs) I didn't really have anything else to say about it. That's an interesting perspective because honestly, I would love to sit here and be like, yeah, fuck that. I honestly love getting paid for me too like I love it I love being lined and dined I do I love it but like I was just thinking this is like yeah we we do differ on this Taylor and I were out the other weekend and like our guy friend I don't know if you remember this Taylor and I were ordering wine at a bar and um our guy friend was like oh I'll get it for you like I'll get it for you guys I'll pay for it and I was like oh, fuck yeah. Like, didn't even think about it. Walked away. I was like going to wait for him to bring me the wine. And Taylor was like, no, are you sure? And like, I look back and I'm like, Taylor, <laughs> I know. Like, Taylor, when a man at, like says he's going to pay for it, like, what are you, don't question it. And she's like, well, you have to at least act like you're going <laughs> to. And 
I was just like so confused. I was like, no, I like didn't even think about it. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) When I do decide to accept it, I just try to pretend like I'm like, That's probably good. I probably should do that. I was just like, yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course you are. But (laughs) I don't know. I do get what you're saying though. And I do see how you could like view that as like oh do you think I can't do this Mm -hmm. and it is weird that it is again like the standard that men do it and it's even weird that the guy you're on a date with was like oh this is such a rare occurrence that you're paying because it is like the standard for them to pay Mm -hmm. again like maybe it should just go back to person to person and like preference I'm not saying all the time I need to be wined and dined. Yeah. But I take it as like feeling special of like, yeah, I deserve this like good yeah. treatment. No, and there's like, nothing I wrong provide with it. enough with my sparkling personality <laughs> that the least you could do is pick up the check, okay? But <laughs> I'm dead. No, I do appreciate it and I try to like accept it sometimes but I don't do this with just guys I do it with like my parents like if they want to like try to pay for my gas or my meal I'll be like no I can do it like you raised me to be independent and I'm not financially well off but I'm financially independent (laughs) like I can do this it's like a it's like a trying to prove myself sort of issue which Mm. goes deeper than just money so (laughs) this is why I need to call my therapist Oh, should we go into should we go into therapy? Yes, therapy. <laughs> We've been wanting to talk about therapy for a while, but in order to do a whole episode on it, I feel like Hannah and I both agree that we need to like really be in the deep end of therapy and we're just not yet. So I just want to touch upon it because I have a lot of conversations about therapy with Hannah, but really like only Hannah. I don't really speak about it unless I'm talking to my parents about like logistical stuff. Recently, I've talked to a few of my friends about it, and it's kind of nice to hear others' perspectives because these friends of mine, like, I'm not super close to them, but I know, like, relatively what they're going through, and I don't know about their, like, diagnosed illnesses or, like, you know, mental health issues. And I had a one friend who was kind of listening on me and my other friend's conversation saying, and we were kind of telling her, we were like, you know, you should just have therapy, like, even if it's bi-weekly, like, it's so life-changing. And she's like, well, I'm not diagnosed with anything. Like, I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. I don't have anything. Like, what makes me qualified for therapy? And I would just like to say today on Authorized Antics, you don't need qualifications or issues to be in therapy. You don't need a written doctor's note saying that you have diagnosed anxiety or depression or whatever in order to get into it. And I think that's a really long rabbit hole that we could talk a lot about, but to kind of just get you the tip of the iceberg, it's just a huge myth and there's still a big stigma around it of you need some sort of reason to be in therapy. And I don't feel like you do. And I'm honestly trying to take my own advice here because I feel like my life's doing better now than it was six months ago. So I'm finding it hard to get back into therapy because I think I'm doing well. But then I remember like when I have those lows and I could really use a therapist at those times, I remind myself like I don't need to be, you know, battling with something every day to get myself into therapy. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. I feel like the stereotype is that when you're in therapy, there's something wrong with you or you're mentally weak 
or you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and not that it's always the reverse of that, but I do feel like it's admirable for people to be in therapy because maybe they are struggling and they have that courage to go talk to someone, which is really fucking hard. Like we've talked about, like just getting into therapy is the hardest part. But also, like even if you're not necessarily struggling in the moment, I think that's just as cool too to get that extra sense of I'm just taking care of my mental health. And every time we talk about this, we do make this disclaimer, but like it is hard financially for people sometimes. So I'm not saying like you must be in therapy, but if you can do it, I think regardless of where you're at with your mental state, it is helpful. It's just like taking care of your physical health. And it's also really good to talk to someone who is not directly involved in your situations. I think that's what I like the best is that they don't have like a stake in what you're saying, really. Obviously, they want to see you do well, but it's different than like the advice I'm getting from like Taylor versus my therapist is different (laughs) in the sense of obviously Taylor cares about me, but she knows me so well that like the advice she's gonna give me is like bias oh yeah like always like I love you Anna and like not like you can do no wrong because Taylor definitely calls me out but (laughs) a little like a little more of that than my therapist who could call me out more and actually like correct my wrongs to where I wouldn't get offended not that I would get offended if Taylor like corrected me but you know what I'm saying okay (laughs) yeah you're my opinion probably means more to you than your therapist because you're just started working with her. You're not, you don't have any sort of personal relation to her. And I think that's another issue and stereotype that comes along with therapy is, well, I have so many people to talk to. Like, why would I add one more to my plate? It's not about numbers. It's about the quality because that therapist is unbiased. There is nobody in your life, not even a mutual friend who is unbiased when you turn to them and tell them a situation that you're struggling with. They only know you. They don't know the other sides to that story. They will advocate for you. Whereas a therapist, they're going to advocate for your growth and your mental well-being, but they're going to like tell you like, no, you fucked up. And like your character, like you got to change that or like whatever the circumstance is. I also just want to quickly touch on, because we are talking about, oh, even if you don't have something like that you're struggling with or a diagnosis, you should be in therapy. I'm like doing the reverse right now and I'll go deeper into this on an episode that's like all about therapy, but I'm doing the reverse right now where I'm specifically in therapy for one thing, which is OCD. And I feel like that could really benefit people too is because I took a break from therapy for a while because I was so overwhelmed with the thought of like having to go and just work through every bad thing that's happened to me or every flaw I have or like every diagnosis I have that was just really overwhelming and can be super draining and so I decided to go back with the thing that like affects my daily life which is OCD and now I'm just doing treatment for that, which has been really helpful because I feel like by just focusing on one thing, I'm able to make progress. And I normally leave therapy feeling like, oh, I made a step in the right direction today. Whereas in in the past when I've worked through like a bunch of trauma at once or like 
growing up issues and stuff, I would leave feeling like, well, fuck, I have a lot of issues and like, this is going to take a really long time or like, there's really no hope here because I'm just a mess. Yeah. That's a good point to make too, because I think if you are struggling with something specific or diagnosed, take it a step further with something specific, if you could like hone down on that, that might allow you to take kind of smaller steps into the journey of like relieving trauma and working through it because it is overwhelming to just do like generalized therapy sessions and speak to someone about everything that's going wrong in your past and your present and your anxieties about the future. But I guess I'm just going to like personally say something I'm struggling with is I'm also interested in getting into therapy for my OCD as well. But I have anxiety with just focusing on one thing and I feel as though I'm neglecting the other things that I struggle with. So I'm kind of curious, like, how do you combat that? Okay. Not that you have an answer for me, but it's just like open-ended rhetorical question. No, I mean, oh, it's not like this is the answer, like, <laughs> but this is just my thoughts is that I don't know if I've already said this quote on the podcast because I've just been saying it till the fucking cows come home. Like I have just been saying this quote to every person I know. So if I've already said this, I'm sorry. And it is everything worth doing is worth doing poorly. I saw that and I've just been really trying to live that because sometimes when I'm like stressed out about doing something or I feel like there's so much to accomplish that I'll do nothing. And that kind of applies to this where you're like, okay, I have like say like five problems but by solving one I feel like I'm neglecting the others but right now okay like not to call you out Tay, but you're not like doing anything with any of those but if you were working on one of them it's like well at least you're doing that and that's kind of how I feel with myself it's like yeah I have a lot of other issues but I'm like I know that this one thing is making progress so that's why it's like anything worth doing is worth doing poorly because you're doing a portion of it like you're doing a little bit of it and that kind of relates I think the quote was used in the sense of like say like working out or something like yeah I want to run five miles today but that's just not really realistic but if I run half a mile or a mile at least I did something and made some Mm -hmm. progress Mm -hmm. that's interesting and I I I didn't mean to like attack you. I was just using you as the example. No, you're not attacking me because I'm fully aware that I'm lacking in the therapy department. (laughs) Um, No, I think I have for a long time too. Okay. I did not mean for that to be. Well, it makes me feel better because when I do the research and I'm like, okay, like here's someone who specializes in OCD and then here's someone who specializes in family trauma and then here's someone that specializes in body image. And it's like, wow, I could talk about these all day and all night. But it's so overwhelming for me to think of like finding the perfect person who can help me with all of these. It's like, that's not realistic either because they're also human who specialized in something regarding their degree. Like I've got to take it a step at a time. And I've, I've never been someone to, you know, do a little bit of something and call it progress or call it an accomplishment. It's like, not that either. I know. I'm, I know that you're an all or nothing person. I don't think I would qualify myself as an all or nothing person. I would just qualify myself as a perfectionist where if I don't do all of what I wanted to do, I basically did nothing. 
even if I did I know, one I, out of those I think things. you are like just an all person and like that right. so <laughs> the, much like the nothing on doesn't exist like you are just all and like <laughs> when, you know and when yeah. you're not all you feel like you're doing something wrong but that's so right. like in that is perfectionism in a nutshell so. right I mean I guess like back to therapy like if someone is in my position of like okay what diagnosed thing are we gonna try to do today and find in therapy it's like what if like how do I even begin to understand like which one to focus on because I don't know which one is the quote-unquote worst but it's like another myth too like which mental disorder affects me the most generally it's like I don't know if that's how it even works for a lot of people and I think that's also a stereotype I see it's like well I'm more anxious than I am depressed. So I should probably focus on my anxiety. Well, it's like, no, like you also have to pay attention to like your other kind of reasonings. Yeah. We get caught up on that. Yeah. I feel like how I figured it out and yeah, you're right. I don't know. Like I don't, everyone's brain probably doesn't work like this, but maybe some do is that how I figured out I want to focus on OCD. So I also struggle with anxiety and depression but I realized OCD is the catalyst for those things and like when I'm having anxious episodes or depressive episodes my OCD normally comes first and so that's why I'm trying to work on that because I feel like if I minimize that then the other ones will but you know stay tuned could have it all wrong but (laughs) that's that's really interesting but I feel like that term catalyst is really important because obviously depression and anxiety can just occur things don't always set them off they just exist so that's another thing that I feel like not a lot of people understand or realize as I was about to scream but I feel like understanding like I mean, this is such a growth for me too, is like understanding like what the catalysts are for like the things that make you anxious or depressed or, you know, do your compulsions within your OCD. It's like, that's rough. You're so right though, Tay. And we were talking about this before the podcast and I totally forgot is that like people could ask us what's wrong and it's like, I just have depression. Like, you know, it's like something always didn't just happen. And that honestly is what sucks about it too, is that you're all, especially Taylor and I are always trying to find a reason and analyze everything and find like the reasoning behind things when sometimes it just is. And like, that's what depression is. It's just there. And that's what sucks about it. (laughs) And within like the realm of mental health with like a mental health disorder, a lot of the common like people think that it's because of something you're depressed because something happened and because you're anxious because this event occurred it's like that it's just there sometimes for some people and I think that's a myth that people also need to really debunk and dive deeper into and figure out like the truth behind because yeah the whole saying of like you never know what someone's going through but like also understand that like even though there are highs and lows with like mental health it can just be constant for some people. And I feel like those people are sometimes neglected in terms of like feeling empathy toward them. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like, and we say it a lot too, but the word trauma is just like always thrown around. And I feel like people think that you need this certain level of trauma from your past to have mental health issues now. 
but maybe some people had a great childhood but have terrible anxiety like there's not always a reasoning behind mental health i've said this quote on the podcast before and i really like it it's like you could be drowning in 300 feet of water and i could be drowning in 60 but we're both still drowning and I feel yeah. like that is not a perspective that a lot of people have when it comes to mental health. I mean, I'm guilty of it too, of like hearing someone else's current problems and reflecting on mine and being like, oh, mine just feels so much heavier. It's like, okay, but you can still have empathy for your friend who's going through it because they're still drowning, maybe just not in as deep of water as you are or vice versa. It, yeah, it's just so hard. Like when you're in it, I'm guilty of that so much too of when I'm in like a bad mental health state, simply just forgetting that a lot of other people are in that too. Yeah. While you're while you're going through it, you're like, oh my God, I'm the only one dealing with this. But, and like we take everything so personally, but like um, everyone's going through something. Right. And humans are just designed to be self-absorbed. And that creates a lot of, like, negativity. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We just have no transitions, no endings. It's just... Bit balling today. It's just over, but... (laughs) It's over. Goodbye. Go home. Thank you for that. It's over. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Even though there was no structure, I love it. I honestly love when we're like, oh, this is our game plan for the episode. And then we just go in a totally different direction because that feels authentic to me. So I was about to say, it's more raw and real than any structured episode we've ever given you. <laughs> yeah. So please. For the love of God. <laughs> oh, I'm so angry. I just get so angry saying this. Please leave a review i'm gonna cry please leave a review in apple Podcasts and give it five stars my mom the other day was like when you say that at the end of the podcast like are people doing it are they going up no they're my not s- my sister goes you're gonna have to show me how to how to rate you on your podcast i'm like are you seven years old i didn't think it was that hard okay go to apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom it literally says write a review step-by-step tutorial click on it write something nice <laughs> <laughs> and click all the five stars all of them and while you're on your phone go to instagram and follow us on authorized antics okay thank you that's it for the <laughs> that's it that's it for the plugs so with that we will see you tuesdays baby